0: Thank mm-hmm. you.
1: Welcome, campers, to Strange Semantics. We are your
2: hosts. I'm Ryan. And I'm Jordan. We're going to be talking about words today, which I know sounds thrilling. (laughs) I mean, who doesn't like talking about words? Exactly. We use them every day. We do. Tons of words.
1: Exactly. But you can't say that you don't like words if you use them.
2: (laughs) (laughs) You certainly can't say you don't like words without (laughs) using them. Yeah, exactly. So, exactly. But no, like the this idea kind of it came from a long conversation that I had with with our friend Vuk from Tracing Owls. We um we've had the discussion a million times over the last year. So, this whole exercise is basically, you know how like someone will call you or send you a text message that and they're like I'm having this argument with my wife that I need you to settle for us. Right.
1: Kind of like a mediator. Yeah. Someone to yeah. provide and, you know, insight or, yeah. you know, just a second set of ears, Right.
2: So they're like, I think this and she thinks this, what do you think? Settle it for us. Yeah. Right. Of course. So this whole exercise kind of came from like Vuk and I talking and, and needing that. Right. So the idea grew from there. Okay. Um, And we had this cool idea that like because language is so important in any study, but especially in what we focus on, the language is so varied. And people have different definitions for different words. It just it really impacts the way I think the way you see it, the words you use. I mean
1: that can that can go for anything though. You know, we have we have many words that say other countries, other cultures. Might describe differently, or use a different word, or whatever else for that. It's all the same. So, I mean, I also understand that within something like this. Yeah, you know, there's multiple ways that things can be described, right?
2: Yeah, and I think the words you choose really show. It's really a window into the way you see the phenomenon. Yeah, I'd I'd have to agree. So, like, let's just start by what is what is your go-to word for describing the things we talk about personally. So man, this,
1: this is a conversation you and I have also both had as well. Yeah. Um, and I go back and forth. So obviously I'm, I guess I can't say obviously, but in my, I guess my personal preference is paranormal. Um, you know, it's a, it's an overall all inclusive thing. Um, whereas, I mean, paranormal essentially is defined as denoting events or phenomena such as telekinesis or clairvoyance that are beyond the scope of normal scientific understanding. So that's more all-inclusive. Um, the, essentially the definition for Fortien, uh is relating to or denoting paranormal phenomena. Yeah. So like with, with those two, that's where paranormal is kind of like a more so like these are the boundaries of what we discuss. Um, Mm -hmm. and like 14 is kind of just another way of describing that.
2: Sure. And it's like paranormal was definitely the go-to when we were growing up. Right. For sure. In like the late nineties, early two thousands, paranormal meant all of it, right? Like it was used universally to describe everything from ghosts and hauntings to, you know, um, mysterious creatures and occult yeah. stuff and, um, spontaneous human combustion and all that stuff was, yeah, paranormal. was
1: literally throw it all in a box and, you know, throw the label paranormal on it and that's it. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Now from sort of the rise of like the travel channel ghost show, I think that's why people have started thinking of paranormal as only pertaining to like spiritual phenomenon. Right. Right, like I I
1: highly disagree with that though.
2: Like yeah. I I
1: essentially I mean when it comes to like paranormal versus like and those being the two terms that I use primarily. Um I know we talk like high strangeness and like anomalous and stuff like that. Yeah. But uh, you know, I yeah, I feel like both of those two terms I can use interchangeably and anytime I'm talking about the show, those are the two that I actually refer to, but paranormal most of the time.
2: Yeah. Paranormal when you're chatting, right? Because another thing is, we're both writers, so we use a lot of words, right? Like, you can't go back to the same word over and over <laughs> right, and over again, exactly. so you have to have, like, a, a large bookshelf to pull from, right? Um Personally, when I talk, I think I use fourteen the most. I...
1: Just because I it sounds cooler than paranormal, it, <laughs> it
2: Look, <laughs> don't be honest yeah there is there is sort of an exclusivity mm-hmm. to using it, right, like like when you hear someone say and you instantly know like, "Oh, they're in the know, right, like well, they're like, actually into this stuff, like we've talked it's it's
1: more of that like almost academic approach to it, yeah, or yeah. at least it sounds like it. <laughs>
2: See, yeah. Yeah. And that's that's another aspect of using 14, right? Is it it's a callback to Charles Fort and the there's a lot of stuff with him, of course. Right, yeah, Like any sure. human being, he was an extremely complicated person, but the to me it like it's it's definitely more academic. It when you say like I research 14 phenomenon, you know what I mean? Like yeah, it, that's yeah. It does. It, sounds, it, very, it sounds,
1: sounds very official. Right. It sounds like you, you know, you, you, I guess you know a little bit more than, say, like the common person that knows the term, you know, paranormal, where they, yeah. you know, ghosts and aliens and stuff like that. Yeah, for sure.
2: Like you're, it, it makes it pretty clear that you're not just like a guy who pulls out the spirit box on <laughs> Saturday nights. Right? I mean, yeah. I, what's wrong with that, yeah. though? <laughs> no, nothing wrong at all. Right. It's just, I, I've always been kind of a try hard. -hmm. You know, like my whole life, I've always been like in school, I was like the teacher's pet type kid. And like, I've always been, I, and I'll be honest, that it is kind of like masturbatory to use it, right? (laughs) To like, it really is. Right. It's like, look how cool I am. I mean, but I've gotten used to using it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The other word that I really go to a lot is anomalous. Anomalous. I
1: i like anomalous too. And I think uh I don't know, it kind of sets it it sets a different tone to it overall, yeah.
2: right? It it kind of cleans it up. A little bit, right? yeah. Yeah. It's like it it's like um it kind of removes the scary from mm-hmm. it. Like when you talk about like paranormal or supernatural or all those terms, you associate them with like spookiness. Yeah. Right. And anomalous is a very like it's a very clean term.
1: hmm Yeah, I agree. Yeah, Cause I mean anomalous is more so like uh you know, just strange and yeah. just different. out of the ordinary. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, I, I do like that one a lot. I don't use that as much, but like when kind of thinking about like what all this means to me, that word definitely comes to mind.
2: Yeah. Absolutely, I think that's like my go-to for I don't know anomalous and fourteen are like kind of neck and neck for when I'm describing the whole of what we discuss
1: for sure. Agreed.
2: Because I, unlike you, I think I have adopted the idea that paranormal pertains to you know spiritual phenomena. Like I say, paranormal when I mean ghosts and hauntings and see,
1: I I I do tend to kind of look at it that way sometimes too. And think like, I guess paranormal is it's becoming uh, see this is this is where I'm gonna contradict myself,
2: yeah, because
1: okay. i I do see it that way, you know, and to an extent, most often you you hear paranormal, you think of ghosts, you think of hauntings, you know, like yeah, um, possession, exactly, um, you know, so that's that's kind of another another thing, and so when I'm thinking like yeah, we're talking about ghosts or we're talking you know we're doing like a traditional hunt, like it's a very paranormal case like whatever else and so in those types of cases i do find myself referring you know as 4 tn um but like i said it just it is one of those that i i just go back and forth because still like at you know the at the center of everything i see it the way that i always have like it does it's all yeah. encompassing right but the more i the more i get further into it the older i get seems like that's a, kind of going away from that original term so
2: yeah and also the deeper you get into any subject the more language you need to describe it right the more you start to break things up into yeah. categories in your mind and like paranormal might have cut it for like this is all the weird stuff when we didn't know as much about weird stuff and realized that it needed so many categories exactly you know? for sure Yeah. And I consider supernatural to be just a synonym for paranormal. Like I use those two interchangeably.
1: I don't don't like the word supernatural, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I think it, it, it's one of those, uh, we talk about like spooky words that you like, you know, that you see that as, you know, spooky. Supernatural is like at the top of that list.
2: To you, that's like a Halloween word. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I get that for sure. Or a show on CW yeah that too that too and i never that's why i never google super like when i'm searching for things i never (laughs) use the word supernatural because you know you're just gonna get like like classic rock playlists and dumb shit like that you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like things that have nothing to do with it um oh yeah
1: with without a doubt
2: another word that i've grown to love is just weird yeah oh i agree like weird is a fantastic one yeah, this, this last year, we really got a lot heavier into just, like, mysteries from history. Mm-hmm. And I think weird is great for describing something that falls within our scope of interest, but it's not necessarily, like, otherworldly. Yeah. Right? Yeah, exactly.
1: Like, it doesn't have to mean all these other things. It's just yeah, weird. It's just weird. I think yeah. that also is the same, you know, in line with strange. I like, yeah. I like to use the term strange a lot. Yep. Because again, it's not just focused on one thing. It's just all the weird and strange things out there.
2: Yeah, exactly. Like Die Out Love Pass is weird. Exactly. Like, the, yeah, the, the Mary Celeste sure. is weird, right? Like the Yuba County Five, weird. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily like ghosts or aliens or cryptids or any of this. It's just, it's weird, right? Yep, exactly. It's, yeah. So that's a very useful term weird i use that a lot so when it comes to like breaking down categories i also i use ufological a lot (laughs) yeah for because i think the reason i like it why i like ufology and and ufological is because it like it calls to it calls to mind like the ufo phenomenon right Mm -hmm. that's what you're referring to but without necessarily taking a stand on whether it's of extraterrestrial origin or not, right? Like it yeah. refers to unidentified flying objects, but not necessarily extraterrestrial aliens, right? Right.
1: Yeah. I mean, when I think of like ufologists and the study of ufology, I think of just that. Yeah. Like the study of UFOs, aliens. It kind of just, there's no, not like, you know, it's not very descriptive in like right. exactly what it is, right?
2: But it's all together, right? Because you have ufologists who like the extraterrestrial hypothesis, and you have just as many or more that are past it. You know what I mean, or that yeah. don't subscribe to to that idea. And they're both ufologists. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. I have recently, and I was thinking about this in the lead up to to recording this. I I have started like shifting away from using cryptid and cryptozoological unless I really mean it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, well, I know that's this is something that we've we've gotten to talking about too. Is like finding finding more and more uh I guess going away from more cryptid based. Yeah. Because like unless like that is 100% what we're talking about, yeah. we're not going to, going to say like this is specifically a cryptid or whatever else, right?
2: Yeah. Absolutely. Like I don't mind calling Bigfoot a cryptid. I don't mind calling, you know, like the thylacine. That's you know a cryptid. So like the Crosswick monster is also like that. I don't mind calling that a cryptid yeah. because I I honestly feel like that was a creature.
1: Exactly. You know I feel I mean? like, and especially the traditional ones like Nessie and stuff like that. I'm sure know I'm
2: always going to refer to those as hard yeah. cryptids. Yeah. Same. But when it when it comes to like the Jersey Devil, when right. it comes to the Chupacabra even. Yeah. I'm not afraid to call those folklore creatures. Oh 100 you know percent I mean? yeah. yeah. Same with like wendigo Skinwalker, Kushtaka. Yep. All the, those are folklore creatures. Which I'm I'm totally fine. And that doesn't bother me. I think they're just as important as a cryptid would be. It's it's just a separate distinction for yeah.
1: me. Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you with that for sure.
2: I think this exercise is super cool. And for those of you listening, we're about to wrap up this segment, and then you're going to listen to about, what, 30? Uh, 20, 29 to 30, yes. Yeah. People from all over the 14 community discussing this same concept. You're going to hear what what 30. terminology they like. Yeah, 30. That's awesome. Um, you're going to hear what terminology they prefer, why they prefer it. Some people are going to talk about the history of the words. And it's it's very cool. I, th- yeah. I think you're really going to enjoy it, and I think people are really you're going to get a lot out of it. Also,
1: I, I, yeah, because I mean the approach that some people take as for their reasoning and everything is almost scientific. Um, yeah, you know, in, in that regard, to like you know these are the words that they use, or this is the approach they take, and everything, and it's awesome for sure.
2: Yeah, yeah. I I mean I got tons of feedback from people who got involved like thanking us for for initiating it because they hadn't really taken the time to sit down and think about why they use the words they use and that it's really like opened some doors for them. Mm-hmm. So I think that's awesome. I, I think it'll do that for a lot of the listeners too.
1: It's going to kind of put things into a different perspective as well. Yeah. I know it definitely has for me already, so.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I, I learned so much just listening through all the clips that were submitted. So I... I'm really proud of this, and and I hope everyone enjoys it. I think with that, we can go ahead and get into these clips. Excellent.
3: Hello guys, some of you may know me as Darwin, while others know me as Vuk from Tracing Owls Podcast, and I guess I'm starting off the show here. So how I got to the idea of starting this strange semantics project is because one day I was pondering over the fact that we in this community, in an attempt to unify all the fields together, use the same labels to refer to different things. Let's say somebody will refer to everything as an ultra-terrestrial, or a talpa, or everything is a fey or a gen. And down the line I started thinking, have I been using terms incorrectly all this time? This has been a central point of discussion between myself and Jordan for a long time now, because Jordan prefers the term Fortean, and I prefer the term Paranormal. So my reasoning for preferring Paranormal over Fortean is because when I was getting into all this I was 8 years old, and back then the term Paranormal was kinda an umbrella catch-all term for everything, not just ghosts and demons, but also aliens and UFOs and cryptids and weird, unexplained phenomena and mysteries. But throughout the years, with the advent of reality television shows which slap the paranormal label onto anything related to ghost hunting, the public is now deceived into thinking that paranormal just means ghosts and demons. So I thought, hey, is the term paranormal what I really think it is, or is it just ghosts and demons? When I look into the dictionary, the term paranormal just means unexplained weird phenomena beyond the scope of scientific understanding and natural laws. And when you go look at Fortian in the dictionary, the definition is exactly the same. <laughs> so it seems to the public these terms are exactly the same, but it is us within the weirdo community who are internally creating the differences. Now I've been thinking and thinking and I guess my main reasoning behind gravitating towards the paranormal term is because Fortian alludes to this need to legitimize all of this as a field of study, it is named after a person, and it also alludes to a physicality of phenomenon. while the paranormal itself is a very mystical, very esoteric term. It means parallel to normal, so outside of the scope of scientific study and understanding and documentation. It is more non-corporeal than corporeal. It is more ethereal than material. And this is coming from somebody who actually studied science. Objective materialism is not the only side of the coin which we call reality. And I see the paranormal not as a physical. physical thing and not as something that can be observed and studied by science, but rather as an expression, a manifestation or a projection to our own subconsciousness. As many may know, I am more interested in the psychological and sociological aspects of the paranormal. So as I deal with the imaginal more than the physical, I gravitate towards a term that will never be embraced by the scientific community and that will always allude to something that we cannot touch or comprehend. Hey, I may be totally wrong, and this is why I have started this project. The best way to know if you are using terms correctly is to ask the people. So we have gathered voice clips from different people all across different parts of the community, and listening to all these clips, I have learned that in the end, just like the phenomenon itself, the words we use are shaped and molded by our own personal experiences, opinions, and biases, and feelings. And just like the phenomenon itself, which I see as a co-creation between the other and the observer, a reflection to our subconsciousness, an artistic expression, if you will, of the universe, the words we use at the end of the day are oftentimes expressions of ourselves.
4: Hi, this is Lon Stripler from Phantoms and Monsters. I'm a researcher, writer, and YouTube host. I've been involved with the paranormal and the unexplained for almost 45 years, and I've had a few personal experiences along the way. My team, Phantoms and Monsters 14 Research, has been investigating and documenting the Chicago Lake Michigan Mothman phenomena since its inception in 2011. As well, I'm currently writing my 10th book. I make an effort to describe each phenomena with the term that most defines it. That being said, I feel that the best overall term, which I use the most, would be anomalous activity. For the most part, much of what we investigate and or what I write about is anomalous, or an event that deviates from the normal course of reality. For instance, cryptid creatures and hauntings are not part of normal life. Of course, some folks confront unexplained phenomena on a regular basis. And in some cases, it has become part of their everyday life. But for most people, anomalies are not the standard. And in many situations, these unexplained incidents diverge from anything that we are familiar with. I think that the realization of anomalous activity becomes more apparent and profound with those people who have had. A personal encounter. Many times after they have recognized the uniqueness of their encounter, they will then become very interested in learning more about it. I can truly say that is what happened to me after I had a Bigfoot encounter in 1981. At the time, I wasn't sure what I witnessed, but I quickly understood that it was an anomalous event and I I wanted to grasp more information. I suppose it could be classified as a life changing experience. Anyway, I hope this helps you to interpret my reasoning behind the use of anomalous activity.
5: Thanks. Howdy, howdy. My name is Matthew Shang, AKA Mothboy Man. I am co host to Mothboy's podcast, a comedy podcast on cryptids, conspiracies, and the unknown. I am also co organizer the one and only Cryptid Bash, an event celebrating all things cryptozoological and paranormal. I am based out of Ripley, a little lake town in western New York. When discussing unexplained phenomena, I usually use anomalies because it means strange things that deviate from the norm. I would say most of these Unusual occurrences are anomalous by their very nature. Um, I want to thank Campfire Tales of the Strange and Unsettling for being so rad. And remember, stay
6: groovy, y'all. Hail Adventurers, I'm Daso's Crow Song, artist, druid, and hostess of Swampcraft. I use the word liminal a lot in my work. It means something that's at or on both sides of a dividing line. A lot of people hear liminal and they think of abandoned buildings, but that's only one example of a liminal space. Something liminal exists between and at the same time beyond two points, like a sunset, neither day nor night, while serving as the defining point between the two. So many fields like cryptozoology and the paranormal occupy that kind of liminal space between the academic and the fantastic, between the mundane and the magical. My own current work falls into the space where witchcraft and handicraft meet. And in my research, I seek out those hedge topics, because none of these things, like UFOs or cryptids, ghosts or what have you, exist in isolation. It's all a web of Venn diagrams of events and accounts and experiences and impact. While a lot of worldviews place the other world above or below the apparent world, I think it makes more sense to see the other as interwoven through and overlapping with the apparent with all of these little points and moments where the veil that separates them is a little bit thinner than it should be. So many people I know have had or have talked to a person who has had an experience that has challenged their idea of the real or the true. And they've had to reckon with the fact that conventional wisdom and science just couldn't provide a satisfactory answer. That to process their experience, they would have to ponder the impossible, the magical, maybe even the miraculous. I find it's in those liminal, transitional moments and spaces that the best questions are asked, the best ideas get shared, and the best discoveries come to light.
7: This is AP Strange speaking to you now. I'm a Discordian flying saucer enthusiast and a writer and thinker and researcher about all things strange. I have a blog at apstrange.com and I co-host a podcast called The Eternal Void, but with jazz. So I was asked to give you an idea of what types of terminology I prefer. Um, And I think just weird is good enough for me. Uh, I like paranormal. I like terms like that. But um, to me, weird really encapsulates everything. And you can choose to spell weird W-E-I-R-D or W-Y-R-D. And sometimes my friends and I will use the spelling to differentiate whether it's a paranormal kind of weird or just a weird kind of weird. Because uh, usually with whatever kind of weird you have, there's some tangential relationship to the other kind of weird. So uh, there's that. And there's also a more modern phrase of para-weird, which I think kind of encapsulates all of that as well, because it's important to have a well-rounded... Kind of understanding of general weirdness, I think, so that, um, you know, something can produce a weird effect without being supernatural per se, um, or it can, uh, have, have some strange and spooky attributes to it. And, um, it's good to have, good to have, uh, an an understanding of, of both kinds of weird so that you, um, you see how they overlap and how they interrelate so put some weird in your weird and get weird with your weird self and (laughs) that's uh that's pretty much how i like to do it
8: hi this is david perkins i'm a researcher and journalist who has been investigating the cattle mutilation phenomenon since 1975 yes words matter a label can color skew and determine the perception of events In this case, anomalous, paranormal, Fordian, and supernatural are all accurate terms, each with its own individual spin. I've used all of these terms in my writing. At times, I've inserted the term so-called to read so-called paranormal. Sometimes I've used scare quotation marks around terms like paranormal or supernatural. This is not an ideal way of conveying an exact meaning. Over time, the meaning of these terms has evolved. In modern times, uh, we went from preternatural to supernatural. Preternatural was first used by scientists to refer to abnormalities of various kinds that seemed to depart from the norms of nature. Preternatural was gradually replaced by the British supernormal or supernatural, and then the uh, French word paranormal. Originally, uh, paranormal was used to refer to observed events, or things presumed to operate by natural laws, but not conforming to known or normal laws. Uh, I have discussed the uh, evolution of these terms with George Hansen, author of The Trickster and the Paranormal. Hansen pointed out uh, that the uh, word paranormal replaced supernatural because scientists felt that supernatural connoted uh, something ominous and upsetting. On the other hand, paranormal implied phenomena that were beside or near normal and were more mundane and less worrisome to people. Hanson noted that in recent years, scientists began referring to phenomena as anomalous. This served to sanitize the phenomena in question, uh, painting them as minor curiosities without much threat or immediate importance. Hansen felt that this drift in terminology separated today's phenomena from their historical predecessors, paving the way for previous knowledge about them to be disregarded. In recent times, scholars like Jeffrey Kripal and Lyle Watson have advocated the concept of supernatural, two words, or super-nature, two words, to attempt to bring the unexplained phenomena squarely into the realm of the natural, quote, normal world and not outside its workings. Then there are the cute amalgams like para-weird, which seem somewhat silly but do convey certain tricksterish playfulness which is inherent in so many so-called paranormal events. Speaking of weird, somehow the word always feels appropriate, even though its original meaning was having the power to control destiny. We all know weirdness when we see it, even though the label may be imprecise.
9: Hey, everybody, what's up? My name is Mark Storrs, and I am one of the three hosts of the Cryptonaut Podcast. We are a weekly show, and it is done with myself and two of my very best friends, Chris Carnicelli and Robert Morphy. So uh, we cover a lot of the lesser-known stranger cases, I guess, that happened. Uh, So a day-to-day term that I use for a lot of this unexplained phenomena is high strangeness. This is a term that was coined by J. Allen Hynek back in the day, and I know that it may they tend to go towards more UFO, like you know, more UFO uh, sightings and experiences. But uh, I tend to use it for everything, whether it's cryptozoological. If you're talking about an alien, if you're talking about a ghost, if you're talking about an Enfield horror, you got a sand the sand down ghost clown. You got a Mothman. You got all kinds of fun stuff. You got micro mermaids. All of this to me falls under the umbrella of high strangeness. That's also another term that I use, too, is uh, um, the umbrella theory. For me, is that this is all the same phenomena, just showing itself differently to people. These are not necessarily the views of my co-hosts, but I think that's what makes our show fun, is that we all kind of come at it from different angles. Um, Another term that I guess we came up with, uh I don't even remember what episode it was. I think it may have been flipper. Is uh, you know, where do they come from? Heller space. So there you go. I think heller space is probably one of my second favorite terms to just say, like, oh yeah, that what what is it? What do you got? What's gonna be happening? You got hell or you got space? Clearly, there's more options than that, but I think it's a pretty fun term. Um, also, too, and this absolutely drives my co-hosts completely nuts, is piercing the veil. If you're talking about interdimensional beings, uh, you know, different cases of high strangeness could just. Just be interdimensional interlopers, piercing the veil. But don't forget, kids, it all falls under the same umbrella. It's the same weird manifestation, just shown to you in a different way. That's my take on it. Thank you all so very much for listening to me ramble on about this. Uh, And again, my name is Mark Storrs, and I do a show with three of my best buds, Chris Carnicelli, Robert Thomas Morphy, and we are available uh, at CryptoNotPodcast.com. You can check us out on all the podcast platforms, the Spotify and the Apple Podcasts and the iHearts and the Stitchers and all kinds of places you can podcast were there you can follow us on the social medias the instas and the twitters and the facebooks and we recently launched a youtube channel at youtube.com slash podcast where you can watch us sit down in person watch fun videos and discuss our own theories about what all the super weird stuff is there you have it thank you all so very much and i'll be talking with you soon hey
10: it's abby from the youtube channel mysteries of the past and present and it's a channel where we talk about all things mysterious and spooky. We do a lot of ghost hunts, um conspiracies, we do cults, we just cover all mysteries that are happening to this day and hundreds of years ago. I'm more of a spontaneous, wild, kind of crazy, loud, rambunctious person. So when I I would say, I say Ghost Hunter more than Paranormal Investigator, just because I just like, it sounds better to me. Like, I like to be weird. It sounds more whimsical. I don't like to take things too seriously. And we also love talking about um, aliens. I would rather call them aliens than extraterrestrials, just because, you know, aliens is the more fun term <laughs> um and w- when we do conspiracies i like to call them mystery theories just just because it sounds more fun as i do with everything else
5: my name is dr jack hunter i'm an anthropologist exploring the borderlands of religion consciousness ecology and the paranormal when i use the term paranormal. I'm using it in the sense implied by the early psychical researcher Frederick Myers when he first coined the term supernormal, which eventually became paranormal. And when he used this term, he basically intended to bring what had previously been referred to as miracles and things like that, um, phenomena that had been dominated by a sort of a religious narrative, and to bring them into the domain of science. So, supernormal, I think, is, and paranormal is a useful term to use. It's a useful framework because it is a scientific term and I think we need to reclaim it. And perhaps most well known for my advocation of an approach called paranthropology, um, an anthropological approach to the paranormal. Uh, anthropology is a very broad discipline and it has lots of different um, methodological approaches um, and I think these can be particularly useful in the study of the paranormal. So just to give a couple of examples, Anthropology emphasizes a cross cultural approach. So, looking at and comparing um, experiences, beliefs, phenomena um, across cultures rather than focusing in a single culture. And another thing that anthropology emphasizes is something called participant observation. And this is basically a method where the anthropologist engages in and participates in the cultures that they study. Um, as As far as is possible, in order to try to gain an insider's perspective, and the reason I think this is so important is because the paranormal is something that seems to resist reduction. It's something that is inherently complex. and as such, we need methods that enable us to study that complexity um, in its entirety as it's played out in everyday people's lives. The approach of ethnography of engaging with and participating in people, over long periods of time, interviewing them to gain deep insider perspectives can really help elucidate this complexity without trying to reduce it down to any single explanatory framework. And this is where another of my concepts comes in, ontological flooding. It's not really a new idea, Um, you know, we could trace it back to maybe the radical empiricism of William James and things like that. But the basic idea is that when we are analysing or looking at something, like mediumship, or the paranormal, or indeed anything, uh, we should be trying to understand it from the perspective of complexity rather than reductive simplicity. The tendency has been to study, um, in anthropology and the social sciences more generally, to study phenomena um, in a reductive vein, to try to make sense of them in as simple terms as possible. But with things like the paranormal, when we do that, we really lose sight of the bigger picture. We lose sight of its complexity. I'll give an example of mediumship research. The tendency in anthropology has been to interpret mediumship either as a form of pathology or as a psychological or social functional phenomenon. So, something that does something for an individual, maybe relieves them from grief, or something that does something for a community, binding people together. But understanding it just from those perspectives ignores a whole range of other things that are going on in mediumship like the experiences of the mediums, for example, which open up a whole other world of possibilities. Or the, the fact that you know, parapsychological research has found evidence for the existence of psi phenomena and possibly for uh, spirits as well, and anthropological theory should take that into consideration. If it's trying to make sense of mediumship, it can't come at it from the perspective that there is no possibility of spiritual beings. Okay, so ontological flooding then is my way of saying We need to embrace multiple perspectives, multiple ways of understanding for any given situation. So that doesn't mean to say that we ignore social and psychological functions for example or we ignore the role of cognitive factors or or mental health factors or whatever but rather that we take all of these things into consideration simultaneously to try to gain as nuanced an understanding of an experience or a belief or a phenomenon as we possibly can. The final concept that I want to discuss is greening the paranormal. This was the title of a book that I edited a few years ago now, really exploring the ecological strands within the paranormal. These might seem like they're two things that are very, you know, distantly separated from each other, the paranormal and ecology, but actually any, you know, Brief delve into the literature of the paranormal will reveal all sorts of ecological strands. So there are, for example, um, the effects that result from people's extraordinary and paranormal experiences. Going right back to William James, he had recognized uh, what he called the fruits of religious experiences, the fact that these experiences change people. And he said one of the easiest ways to tell if an experience was genuine or not was to look for Transformations in their personality or philosophical outlook. Okay, so but we actually see these kinds of transformations in all sorts of extraordinary and paranormal experiences. Um, And one of the most interesting transformations, which was noted by people like John Mack, is that people who have, for example, UFO abduction experiences, um, often come back from those experiences with an increased desire to uh, work for the protection of the planet. So they might become involved in, for example, gardening activities or other kinds of um, environmental activism, similar patterns have also been noticed with other kinds of extraordinary experiences like near death experiences and psychedelics so that's one of the green ecological strands that runs through the paranormal. Another is the role of non-human intelligence, so ecology reveals a world of you know multiple organisms interacting with each other, many different kinds of mind that have evolved into Uh, particular ecological niches and this is kind of what we see paralleled in the paranormal as well with uh, all manner of different kinds of spirits um, different kinds of cryptids as well as the possibility of you know extraterrestrial intelligences and interdimensional intelligences so there seems to be an ecological strand that runs through the paranormal in that sense as well that suggests what we might call an invisible ecosystem or a subtle ecosystem that exists alongside and parallel to and interacts with the physical ecosystem. And then the third point that I would just like to mention in the context of greening the paranormal is related to what we were talking about earlier with parent and ontological flooding. And that's the value of green or ecological uh, frameworks or models for interpreting the paranormal. So ecology emphasises complexity. Uh, Ecology suggests that ecosystems develop from simple systems into increasingly complex systems. So you start off um, with a bare piece of land and it develops over time into um, a vibrant, you know, rainforest ecosystem ultimately, a climax community of plants and animals. This is a process that's been referred to as succession. So complexity and a movement towards complexity seems to be a natural drive uh, in nature. It seems to be something that pushes nature forwards. And so I think that complexity seems to be uh, something that we need to take into consideration. So an ecosystem's perspective on the paranormal encourages us, like ontological flooding, to take this complexity seriously and to try to understand these phenomena in as much nuanced, um, complexity as we possibly can
11: hey this is alan b smith host of paranormal now and coffee and ufos podcast as well as the director of half light which is a documentary about experiencers and paranormal phenomena therefore my word is definitely paranormal um now i do use 40 supernatural preternatural um interchangeably at times but paranormal really is the the OG catch-all term that I grew up with, at least um, for my generation. And what that means is it, it applied to everything from uh, alien abductions to just nuts and bolts UFO, u- ufological studies, UAPs now, um, life after death, reincarnation, spontaneous combustion, ghost hunting, and what have you. Uh, everything that's, that's metaphysical and spiritual as well. So paranormal I think unfortunately has been unintentionally appropriated by the proliferation of so many ghost hunting shows that the original use of the word um, has been forgotten. It really applies to anything. So much to the chagrin of some people in the ufology community, the study of, of UFOs is, is paranormal. It simply means anything that's outside the norm anything that is not accepted uh, plainly by academia or even just, you know, by culture and society in general. Um, It's something that runs parallel to um, our understanding of the norm, uh, which means it's something to be studied, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's not a part of normal reality. So I'm all in on paranormal. Uh, I'm going to stick with it, and hopefully we can kind of reclaim that word again. Alright, thanks again. This is Alan B. Smith from Paranormal Now, and uh, live in the mystery.
12: Hey everybody, this is Rick from the podcast Spooks, Creeps, and Assorted Devilry. Uh, Basically a nonsense podcast where we just talk about weird stuff. So the term that I use typically to refer to all of the unexplained phenomena out there is uh, spooky stuff. You know, I'll tell people, you know, if you have anything spooky adjacent, like feel, feel free to reach out about that or share your info in our Facebook group. Um, I think that that's a blanket enough phrase to cover everything out there. It's, you know, ghosts, UFOs, aliens, cryptids, um, ultra-terrestrials, all that nonsense, so to speak. But I will use, when referring to specific uh, phenomena, I will use the, I guess, uh, community-accepted phrase. So if it's poltergeists and, um, All that other stuff, like that's ghosts. If it's UFOs or UAP or uh, lights in the sky, like that, I'll refer to that as aliens. Um, If it's a Bigfoot or a Loch Ness monster or anything of that nature, I'll call it a cryptid. Um, But then you get into the weeds with things like Mothman or Skinwalker Ranch, or you know, you know anything that covers more than one facet. And that's where it gets a little confusing for people. So I don't call Mothman a cryptid or an alien. Um, That is where it it kind of gets confusing for me, at least. I don't know what to call that. So spooky stuff. Like, I just throw that out there. Spooky stuff. I will say I also attach the phrase window area to any regional phenomenon. Like uh, Chestnut Ridge, that's a window area. Or Point Pleasant, that seems like a window area or Skinwalker Ranch in Utah, that seems like a window area. Uh, so it really is case-specific. It is very easy to get lost in the weeds and bog yourself down with trying to pigeonhole something uh, into one category or group or what have you. And I think a lot of the specificity comes from being a true believer, so to speak. So if you believe in these phenomena, then you really get into the details. You know the difference between a tulpa and an egregore or ghosts poltergeists uh residual hauntings you really get into the details but for me as a non-believer i tend to speak in broad terms that's really where i stand
13: hi i'm stephanie quick I am an esoteric memoirist and a synchronicity artist, and you can find all my uh, writing and audio and contact information at my blog, Ghost Dog is a Mystery Box, and the address is stephaniequick.home.blog. My word is paraweird. Um... It is a portmanteau, which means that it's a type of word where you have kind of two words just mashed together to create a new word. So uh, the noble spork is, in fact, and in name, a combination of the spoon and the fork. Um, motel is also a portmanteau from Motor Hotel. And uh, for today here, the word podcast is also a portmanteau. It's a combination of the iPod and broadcast. So, um I like it because it encompasses stuff that is definitely paranormal, but also stuff that is just, uh, has the stink of the weird about it, but you can't really necessarily identify anything paranormal. You have, uh, incidents that occur to people and they're uncanny, they're weird, but, uh, it doesn't have, uh, like you can't say, oh, that was obviously uh telepathy or I saw an apparition, there was poltergeist knocks, uh. Let's see, um, there were objects moving around without a discernible cause, right? All that type of stuff. You figure, okay, yeah, that definitely falls in the category of paranormal. But um, we have these other things that are just, they, they're they still weird, right? Like synchronicities are a classic example of this. Obviously, why I like a, a word that uh, goes beyond the, the strict scope of paranormal uh, occurrences. Um' cause lots of times it'll just be uh, let's say you have uh, several independent people um telling you uh, one day I had a, a three different uh people tell me stories about bears trying to get into a house um one was my mom sent me a link um uh, another person and then just a guy that I met I was going to look at his um uh, lewd uh devil's grass or Mexican uh grass plant that was uh blooming on Diablo Avenue. Anyway, be that as it may, you know, that's a weird occurrence. You're gonna notice it. And it's not just algorithm because I just went over to this guy and he was telling me this on the street. Very nice guy, great plant. Um but there's nothing you can put your finger on this is it's paranormal. Uh apports can be this way as well. You know, you just find like a rock in a room and it's just a regular rock. But you know, because you live there, that there's no rational explanation that you can think of for why it's there. So it's not, is it paranormal? Is it not? Is it just weird? I don't know. Thus, para-weird. my favorite paraweird category is probably winged cats. Now Thoreau, when he was living in Walden Pond, heard about these cats that have wings and you should really look them up because they're adorable. They're just like a regular cat, but then they have um, grow fur uh, off of usually the shoulder blades. And so you can hold them up and or if they hop around and they look like little furry wings and it's the most crazy adorable thing imaginable. Um, now, as it turns out, as time has gone on, they have been identified as um, you know, just completely mundane explanations having to do with various qualities of cats, uh, certain genetic mutations in a few instances, where they kind of grow these uh, plaques of skin, uh, they get hairy, and then they fall off. Um, but still, even though they are, as it turns out, quite mundane... They still have the stink of the weird about them. You see a lot of like name games and uncertainty. They're very liminal creatures. They tend to be involved in a lot of court cases. Um, it'll be a lot of uncertainty about, okay, what is their sex? Who actually owns them? Uh, where did they come from? Where are they going? I don't know. Uh, most uh, intriguingly in my mind, and I think for Keelians or Fortians. um, These were actually the monsters that John Keel was in search of when he set out to go to Point Pleasant for the first time in the great Mothman prophecies. In the beginning, he's oiling up his monster traps. Those are meant to get trap wing cats, which are completely mundane, yet they sit at the door of some of the freakiest shit you'll ever hear about. I hope I'm allowed to swear, and I hope that this gives you an idea for why I like the word PR weird.
0: Hello fellow weirdos. I've been given the push to join in here as a bit of a fringe of the fringe, being a folklorist and researcher on a Paranormal Encounters podcast. I think I just gave away my preferred term, paranormal. It's a great catch-all for everything beyond the mundane or else find conventional description. My name is Luke Greensmith, writer and presenter of the folklore podcast Luke Law, and researcher on the Ghost Story Guys podcast. I'm a sceptic by nature, and drawn to all things fantastical by my fascination with stories. I suppose one way in which I stand out is in a term I do not like using, that of fairy or fae. It's an odd one, as it's a useful category in modern fiction, but in its historical context, specific to the British Isles, it was a dismissal of traditional folklore, that of the Aeos those of the Otherworld or Otherworldly Beings. It was English scholars attempting to dump all native tales into a classical context who coined the term fairy in the 1400s or at least used it from French and other classical roots to tie them into the Greek fates. This was due to the idea that only Greek and Roman phology was of value, those being the capital C classics. Despite technically being an English scholar myself, this one irks me. Feel free to come find Luke Law to either hear more on this, the good neighbors are frequently guests on my show for better or worse, or else come talk to me directly.
14: My name is Aaron. I'm the co-host of the Hey Strangeness podcast, host of Strange Conversations, author of the Texas Dogman Triangle, and the executive editor of Paranormality Magazine. In every inexplicable occurrence, one term can be found as the common denominator which, at the root, links them all together. That term is strangeness. Ghosts, UFOs, cryptids, buried treasure, conspiracy, true crime, past lives and inherited memories, occult studies, psychic abilities, astrological phenomena, rumors of underground cities, or even entire civilizations. Cases such as the Roswell crash, the Texas terror dog, the ghosts of New Orleans, and so on and so on. Strangeness is present in all of these cases, as well as innumerable others. It is strangeness which drives us to ask questions, tell stories, and create things. It's strangeness which binds together a community of researchers, investigators, enthusiasts, and even idle spectators. Strangeness defines life. Human beings are naturally inclined to ask why, what, and how, and without recognizing the strangeness that is this thing we call life, we may never ask these important questions. We may never have built cities, gone to the moon, or discovered the atom. All fields of scientific inquiry spring from one or more individuals who took note of something strange, and it is through their searching that we have developed and grown into the civilization that we now share. Strangeness binds us together, propels us forward, and compels us to seek out answers. In a way, strangeness makes us human.
15: Hey, my name is Fred anderson I'm a Swedish researcher and author, primarily known for my work with two paranormal television shows, Det okända and Spökjakt. The latter is, sorry for bragging, the biggest paranormal show ever in Scandinavia, and it's now on its 5th season. On the side, I'm also doing research on Swedish UFO cases and high strangeness in general. I prefer using that expression, high strangeness as it fits the stories, and I like to call them stories, that triggers my interest. There's something with the the out-of-the-ordinary inside subjects of the extraordinary that makes me feel alive. Are they folklore, dreams, hoaxes, or something with roots in some kind of outer or inner reality? I don't know, and to be honest, I don't care. Storytelling is as old as mankind, an important way to transfer information, knowledge and wisdom through the generations. Sometimes, like in the case of Mrs. Jean Hingley and her alien fairies or the car-honking gnomes of Volaton Park, it might lack an apparent wisdom, at least on the surface. But, But what it brings is the message of imagination and individuality. It's all about highly personal experiences where the individual gains something from it, may it be terror or enlightenment. I see the phenomenon as a blank canvas, and those who can sense it as artists flinging colors onto the invisible surface, creating patterns, motifs, and events. The creation, the result, is partly ourselves, and the rest is the texture of the goblin world shaping their experience. It might be nonsense, but it's our nonsense.
16: My name is Joshua Kutchin. I am an author of what I prefer to call speculative nonfiction, <laughs> and maybe that's the first term that I would use if I'm on an airplane and someone asks me what I write about. My latest book is Ecology of Souls, A New Mythology of Death in the Paranormal Volumes 1 and 2. I've used a lot of different terms over the years to describe this stuff. Uh, I'm a big fan of saying the unexplained because that allows you to have natural and supernatural phenomena within that sort of umbrella term. But I also am not hesitant to use supernatural and paranormal when discussing these things, even if they might be proven to be natural somewhere on down the line. I've always had a soft spot for the term Fortiana because that's probably the most accurate assessment of of what I like to talk about and and the things that I'm interested in. But that term just gets a lot of blank stares sometimes, not only amongst the public, but also even amongst people who might be at a conference on The Unexplained. Um, And that's something that, you know, I guess we should keep on using that term to sort of push the awareness of that. As far as terms for these sort of subtopics within fortiana that i'm interested in uh one term that i did coin was the term falions (laughs) and i use that to describe the similarities that i see between old world fairy mythology and modern ufo accounts um I'm not comfortable saying that the aliens are fairies or that the fairies are aliens. I think both of those are inaccurate. But if I say failions, it kind of combines both those things in one sort of umbrella term, because those two bodies of folklore, both from ancient times and from the modern era, really do seem to be describing the same thing. So I use that term sometimes when applying it to UFO lore and also people running into little people. Um, The other term that I've used some is a term that I coined called Wildnisgeist, which was a term that I used to sort of um, clarify some of these things that we see in areas where there are heavy populations of Bigfoot um, that don't always have a sighting of a large hairy creature in the report. Um, So these are things like stones that are thrown or knocks in the forest or Strange voices or strange smells or even footprints, which if you were to transplant them to a house would be poltergeist phenomena. So I decided to call them wilderness geist, which is, you know, wilderness spirit or forest spirit. Um, just as a way of sort of differentiating Bigfoot sightings where the actual creature is seen versus sightings where people have things that are highly suggestive of Bigfoot, but you didn't see Bigfoot. So you can't say it definitely was a Bigfoot. So I guess those maybe someday might be my contributions to the field. Um, but I really uh, hope this message finds everyone well, and I really appreciate y'all putting this together.
17: Hi, hello. My name is Carly. I go by The Village Tarot Witch online. I am a tarot card reader and a practicing medium. The terminology people have used has always fascinated me. I have an interesting relationship with words in that some words I just don't want to use. Example, I don't like to refer to myself as a psychic medium, but I do call myself a medium. What's the difference? There probably really isn't one. To me, a medium is someone who uses various tools to communicate with super fucking dead people, okay? Talking to ghosts here. I actually didn't even call myself a medium for a long time because I would tell myself I don't see spirits and I don't hear spirits. But if you think about the word medium in terms of an artist choosing which art tool to use, to use their creative expression, are you going to use paint? Are you going to use oil pastels? Mediumship in terms of spirituality, in terms of communicating with the dead, can work very similarly. You are choosing the tool that works best for you, which is why I now will call myself a medium. I don't consider myself any less of an artist because I prefer photography or acrylic paint over other mediums. Similarly, I now learned to embrace and accept the fact that I use mediumship through cards. And that doesn't make me any less of a medium. It just means that I am using the language that makes the most sense to me. Cards make sense to me. I'm a medium
18: hello this is todd purse i'm a cartoonist and illustrator and i love to draw things that are just super weird and have to do with all the high strangeness i also have a daily art podcast talking about the weirdo drawings i make called create magic and yeah that's about what i do i'm so stoked to be asked to contribute to the strange semantics episode and i think looking at language is such a good way to look at the phenomena in general just the doubleness of it all like how important language is and how not important it is at the same time and I feel like that's a mindset that is hard to highlight in different ways when looking at the uh, paranormal but one that really does emphasize the imaginal aspects and uh, yeah imaginal is the word I'm going to go with here because after looking through my artwork and listening to a few of my podcasts I've realized that I use that word a lot and I think it's because it holds this middle ground of both allowing for these strange occurrences and experiences to be historically accurate and also be part of the human experience a maybe an essential part of the human experience and relate more to the overall consciousness than maybe we see on the surface and that kind of emphasis on consciousness and creativity and the human experience is what i really uh, kind of love about the phenomenon in a way to view it in a positive light if that makes sense and It's something that uh, I found almost comforting as far as a word to use and maybe it's just because it's so close to the word imagination and I love just kind of living in that space of imaginal reality. So yeah, that's the word that I'm going with. I hope that made any sense and thank you so much for uh, having me and yeah, enjoy the rest of the episode.
2: Bye! Hey, my name is Greg Bishop. I have been doing an interview show for the past 20 years called Radio Mysterioso. I've also been writing about UFOs since the late 1980s. And you would probably guess that the first thing I would say was I use the term paranormal to refer to all these things we talk about, cryptids, ghosts, um, UFOs, because it is outside the normal. That's what the term paranormal means. It means away from the normal. So I think that's a good catch-all term. There are other terms that have come into use since then, but uh, I don't think they're as strong or as useful, and, except in very specific cases. Like to see what other people say. Thanks.
19: Greetings, Campfire Tale listeners. This is Chris Zaitis. Um No real claim to fame here. I'm just I'm just an artist and uh, a corporate slave for the most part, but. Um the word that comes to my mind when I think of anomalous phenomena um, would probably be a less, would probably, based on how I how uh, how I struggle with that one. Um, you can imagine it would probably be something that required less syllables to come out of my face. So, as a layman, I think in typical conversation, I would use words. Like strange or odd or weird, but if we're if we're talking uh, words with more than one syllable, then then I'll have to go with otherworldly. Reason one, I could say it without stammering usually. Reason two, being the image that it evokes when I say it or I hear it. I just think that overall it has a, like a creepier, like sort of ring to it. And when I say creepier ring, I I mean, for example, I'm, I'm kind of like one foot in and one foot out of every sort of situation that is anywhere comes close to being paranormal. So a noise, you know, I'm, I'm kind of drawn to it, but, um, you know, the, 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 the flight response is, is just as powerful. So in short, in a world of paranormal investigators, I would, 100% 100% be uh the otherworldly absconder and that would be a pretty boring show and nobody would watch it so if there are any uh, ghouls or ghosts listening um i ain't gonna come at you with any uh fancy uh, emf readers um you know pretty much gonna leave you to your existence in the other world um Should our paths cross? It'd be that of a second, because uh, I'm going to be hightailing in the other direction. Uh, Happy Halloween, everyone.
20: Hi, this is Jeff from the Strangeology podcast, which is a show all about cryptids, aliens, the paranormal, supernatural, forbidden history, ancient knowledge, conspiracy theories, and more. Beyond the podcast, Strangeology also has a website blog. A Etsy shop where I design my own cryptid and alien weird themed merch. And I also produce video content on social media like TikTok, YouTube, and Instagram, where I have grown a fairly decent sized community. Now, there are so many avenues to the phenomena of high strangeness out there. So, There's an umbrella term that I like to use that encompasses all of it, which is Fortean, or Fortiana. This term is derived from Charles Fort, who was a writer and early researcher of the strange and unexplained. Some consider him like the godfather of researching all the weird things out there in the world. He was known for looking into things like the occult and the paranormal, as well as even UFOs in the sky and USOs in our oceans, and was a big proponent of the extraterrestrial hypothesis. Fort also had a fascination with weird human occurrences like spontaneous human combustion, levitation, and even teleportation, which is a term he is credited with inventing. Fort also reported a lot on out-of-place historical artifacts, like some piece of technology that was found, which shouldn't have existed in a certain time period that's baked into a rock that might be thousands of years old. He could also be considered one of the first cryptozoologists as well, as he often looked into unknown animal sightings or animals being seen out of their habitat. So because of this and and all the people that Charles Fort has inspired over the decades is the reason why I like to use the term Fortian or for Tiana to describe the work that i do with strangeology thanks for listening and as always keep it strange
21: hi everyone my name is dr karen stolzno and i'm a co-host of the monster talk podcast i'm also the author of god bless america would you believe it and a bunch of other books
22: my name is matthew baxter i'm a paranormal claims investigator and monster talk podcast contributor
21: so, we've been invited very kindly to talk about the terminology that we use when we discuss anomalous phenomena. So, anomalous phenomena is, is a phrase that I use myself. But it, when I use that term, I tend to think of uh, psychology. Uh, it sounds like a more it's kind of scientific name. So, I, I would say by and large, I use the term paranormal. To me, that's the most kind of common or, or everyday uh, term for this kind of thing. How about you, Matt?
22: The word I tend to use is paranormal claims. I feel that it's important to add the word claims on the end there because uh, we haven't proven that the paranormal exists, but we do have a lot of paranormal claims and these claims are real and they're actually something that can be investigated. Mm -hmm. So to say that you investigate the paranormal is to say that it exists and you believe in it. So in everyday conversation, I do use words like paranormal and supernatural UFOs, stuff like that. But if I'm In an investigative mode, I tend to use paranormal claims.
21: Yeah, I mean, to me, the term paranormal doesn't necessarily presuppose that you believe in it. Uh, I think it's just a good general all-rounder term uh, Mm -hmm. to use, whether you believe in these things or not. uh, I just think it's just a good... For, for most contexts, but I also use terms like uh, supernatural and Fordian. I really like that one. I don't think I use it enough. And certainly if I'm talking about specific kinds of phenomena like ghosts or psychics, UFOs or cryptids, I'll just use those terms. Um, but I, I occasionally use terms like pseudoscience to refer to, to some things, and I think that's more of a kind of skeptical, critical thinking approach And um, to, to use that term, and it's not terribly user-friendly. But then I do like to use a lot of kind of everyday terms like weird or strange, mysterious. And metaphysical is a good one, too. I think not uh, enough unex- people use that. Unexplained, absolutely. Yeah, yeah.
22: absolutely. No, I, I totally agree. But I have to admit that when I first heard about you, I heard that you were a researcher of anomalous phenomenon. I thought that was really cool.
21: <laughs> it sounds pretty important, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. It does. Uh, so thank you so much for inviting us on to talk about the terms that we use. It was just really interesting to think about this. I think we often use these terms without thinking about them
22: very much. Absolutely. And if you're looking for a fun podcast to listen to that's a science show about monsters, look for Monster Talk.
21: Yeah, check us out.
23: Hello, my name is Cole Harold. I am a writer, artist, and researcher for the New World Explorer Society blogspot, and I'm also a boots-on-the-ground researcher here in PA. When it comes to the unexplained, uh, I use the term 14. Uh, The reason for this is that the word 14 is associated more with academia, which is something that when I look into cases, I try to uh, take whatever the event is or the creature and try to see how it would fit in in that sort of way um i tend to view it uh the word 14 as a kind of anthropology of the unexplained uh when one studies cryptids or aliens they both look for physical evidence such as scorch marks or footprints or whatever um and they try to see how that would fit in how we know about current things of evolution or Different things along those lines, uh, which gets very similar to uh, biological studies and physical anthropology. Um, But they also look at anecdotal reports and legends and lore, which often uh, get intermixed or seem to be the precursor to the phenomenon, which in itself is very similar to cultural anthropology in the fact that you're looking at different beliefs and different ideologies and Uh, The general consensus of uh, multiple people or a given area. And a lot of the times that's what with 14 studies it seems to be, a certain group of people, even with subjects that are considered a little bit more woo, uh, you're looking at these ideologies and these uh, accounts, and you collect them, you research them, and you look into them. And you don't necessarily prove that this is the outcome, but you collect them and you add that to the overall uh, study as a whole, which is very important. Much like anthropology, 14 studies are sort of a humanities study as well as a hard science study. And it's because of all these reasons I tend to use the word 14 to describe just about any sort of unexplained event or creature or phenomenon um i find it much more grounded and uh more leaning towards that academic sense than say paranormal or supernatural and hey, i'm lisa i'm here with my co-host shane
13: hey lisa <laughs>
7: hello and we um have a podcast called dark notes yep. the the term i i normally just use the term paranormal i i guess because of my age and it was a popular word growing up uh, i do like the word weird a lot yeah i don't really have a preference though i like um how about you
23: <laughs> yeah i i i either say paranormal or supernatural interchangeably usually when i'm talking about like media like movies or something i say supernatural more mm-hmm. um but i use both those terms and um sometimes i refer to the phenomenon as the other yeah i
7: do like
24: that that yeah. seems fitting that
7: seems correct and and
22: um Especially with some of the... I love the term high strangeness. It
23: fits so perfectly to a lot of this stuff. So yeah, so, yeah paranormal, mm-hmm. supernatural, the other high strangeness. We love it all. Yeah.
7: <laughs> and tuck us out. Uh, we dig up... We basically call each other up and share all the weird accounts and articles and stuff that we dig up. Yeah, and the weirder the better. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> All right.
25: Bye. Bye. Aloha, people of the campfire. My name is Jeremy Vaney, and uh, you don't know me, and I don't know you. And uh, that's the way I like it, except that I want you to know me a little bit. So I guess I'll introduce myself. Uh, you know my name. Got that down. My role in the community. I'm going by the notes I have in front of me. What is my role in the community? Perhaps my role is to tell you that there is no such thing as a community uh, in whatever this is. I mean, I come from the world of ufology, essentially, as I am an experiencer of high strangeness. And so I refer to um, the whole pantheon of paranormal stuffs as uh, high strangeness. If I'm talking about what I perceive to be an intelligence Behind all of this high strangeness, sort of the the Great Oz, if you will um i re- don't refer to it as the Great Oz, but I do refer to it often as the enigmatic other, which um I believe I'm stealing from Terence McKenna and uh, uh or just you know this intelligence because I like to keep it um a mystery because I believe. Ultimately, all high strangeness stuff from ufology to ghosts to Bigfoot to you name it is like a bunch of finger puppets on one hand of an intelligence and um, being utilized to speak to us, at least subconsciously, if not consciously on a more fluid, I guess, artistic or symbolic level. And so this mystery may be mystery with a capital M as opposed to a bunch of just mysteries or a small mystery. Difference there is a small mystery is something that is answerable, and mystery with a capital M is unanswerable. So we don't know if this is unanswerable by design or if it is just not answered yet. Uh, I guess to be continued. Anyway, what do I do with all that crazy thinking? Well, I put it into books and podcasts. My latest book is Aliens, The First and Final Disclosure. Um, The podcast I'm most famous for at the moment, although that's also to be continued. Something I can't talk about just yet. But, uh, Peritopia with Jeff Ritzman. And, uh, also the experience uh, for UnknownCountry.com. And, uh, currently I do Our Undoing Radio, which is more about being a whole human (laughs) It's sort of exploring what what human nature is and is not and how we lie to ourselves to never actually become our whole selves because that uh, entails the death of self and all of this wraps together with the paranormal actually um but good luck figuring out what those connective tissues are okay that's me that's kind of what i do enjoy it
24: Hey, everyone from Campfire Tales podcast. Um, My name's Ainsley, and I'm with the group Sydney Spooks. I'm also a social worker, a therapist, and I do psychic readings. Now, when when I think of the word anomalous, I think of something that's out of the ordinary, um, a rare occurrence, something that's very much sort of odd and can't be easily classified. Now, in relation to paranormal investigating, I think this sort of applies to things that we just can't seem to debunk. So examples of these could be, you know, seeing a full-bodied apparition, seeing a shadow figure, um, hearing disembodied voices, EVPs, intelligent knocking. For example, if we knock three times, we get three knocks back. Footsteps when no one else is around. Flashes of light um, when there are no windows in the vicinity or any other reason for it.
26: My name is Chris Cogswell of the Mad Scientist Podcast. I like to kind of call myself a hopeful skeptic or maybe a weird skeptic. And that's really sort of what I like to call these ideas that we're talking about here weird stuff. Weird is an interesting word because it has no negative or positive connotation to it, it's just stuff out of the ordinary. And for most people, that's what this stuff is it's just things that are out of the ordinary out of what you would normally experience in your day-to-day life. The funny thing about weird events is the more we study them, the more we find out that they're actually not all that uncommon. Most people have had experiences where their senses trick them, or have had experiences where they see something strange that they can't explain. Our brains aren't that good actually at understanding the world around us we're pretty good, right? I mean, we've developed a whole world around us of language that puts together your experience of the world and my experience of the world, right, with a common understanding. But the reason we use science in the first place is because our ability to just understand the world is really flawed. We're not that good at it. And so by devising experiments that allow us to... Ensure that we're not being tricked by just what we see here, you know what we sense, that's really kind of at the heart of science and so for me as a skeptic, that's the most important thing here is having a label for these things that is not it doesn't imply like the person who believes these things is wrong or evil or bad or whatever, right? Calling something like a conspiracy theory, um pseudoscience, those sorts of things I found tend to be. A little bit more negative sounding to people. And so I really try to reserve those for things that I do think are negative, right? So, you know, homeopathy is pseudoscience. Um, It is not true. And it actively harms people that they believe, say, for example, that they can inject themselves with urine to cure COVID. On the other hand, stuff like, you know, believing you saw a UFO or believing in a religion or whatever, those aren't necessarily negative in and of themselves people can use them sometimes to make people do terrible things or bad things maybe you get tricked into donating money to a ufo program or um you know you join a religious movement that that doesn't necessarily have your best interest at heart but at the end of the day i think the most important thing is using terms that are not making somebody who believes these things feel like you're already coming at them like well a jerk so, I use the term weirdness.
27: Hi, this is Heather Mosher from Small Town Monsters. You can find me on Instagram, at historian. Strange semantics, huh? Well, I put together a little list of words that I prefer to use, and I can try to explain some of them. A lot of it just comes down to preference, honestly. But, first and foremost, Bigfoot versus Sasquatch. I grew up hearing Bigfoot. Um, It seems to me the um, more—I don't even know how to say this—the it's widely accepted. Most people understand what you're saying. Um, I, not to say that I don't use Sasquatch as a term as well, but I tend to use Bigfoot in a more friendly conversation if I want to talk in a little more elevated manner, I suppose you would say, then um, I might use the term Sasquatch. But really, if you're wanting to get specific, that's whenever I think it's important to use the term that is relevant to the region of wherever this creature is. So if you're talking about the Yowie or the Yeti or the Ohio Grassman, I suppose, if um, you really wanted to be specific, that's always important. Spook lights versus orbs. This is also a personal preference. Spook lights, and I could go on for days about this. Have so many different names. Some of them is, some of them actually tickle me so much. I would love to use them on a daily basis, like a jack o' lantern, um, or a candle, the corpse light, things like this. I prefer to say spook lights above anything instead of earth lights or orbs. When I hear the term orbs, my mind automatically goes to ghost hunting, right? When people take a picture and it's probably dust, but it might be something else. That's what I think of when I hear orbs. But people tend to use it interchangeably as well when discussing spook lights, which are the light anomalies that you see outside in the woods or swamp gas or whatnot. Spook lights is something that I prefer. UFO versus UAP. I'm not really sure when UAP came into the lexicon because this is honestly not very much in my arena at all outside of the research that I do specifically for STM. But again, it's like Bigfoot. I grew up with UFO. I get the UAP covers a broader range. But UFO, I I don't know. I I know what you're talking about when you say either, but my mind automatically goes to UFO. Ghosts versus spirits. Ghosts to me, um, I say that more often than anything else. And I think that I reserve spirit more so for when talking about an entity that perhaps has a more personal connection. So an entity that already has a name to it. Or maybe if you're trying to connect with ancestral spirits or guides or things like that. To me, that's when spirits come into the conversation versus ghosts. Like, I'm just going out and I'm looking for ghosts rather than spirits. That's just my own thing. Which leads me then to the final point, which would be ghost hunting versus paranormal investigation. And I'm talking specifically going to a haunted location and looking for any type of anomalies that way. I love to say ghost hunting just because... It seems more fun, I guess. If I want to sound professional, then I would say I'm investigating. It's a paranormal investigation. But in general, going out and looking for spirits or ghosts is a fun time. Ghost hunting, not literally hunting, but just going out and looking for ghosts. So I say ghost hunting.
28: All right. That's my opinion on certain things. Until next time. Hi there. My name is Molly Briggs, and I am the creator and host of the podcast Weird Like Me, UFOs and Other Phenomenon. So I, like others of you out there, have been asked to share a little bit about what term I primarily use on a daily basis uh, when I'm referring to all unexplained phenomenon. And it's interesting that when I first saw this task, I thought, well, hell yeah, this will be easy. This will be fun. And then I sat down and I really thought about it, and it was surprisingly challenging. First, right off the bat, I can very easily tell you what words pop up on a daily basis that are annoying, Uh, and they come up over and over, fascinating, and they fly out of my mouth, fascinating, before I even know it, there they are, fascinating. But the one or two that I use consistently, that is oddly tricky. So here's what I came up with. I use the word strange. As simple as it sounds, this is really the one. My word is strange. Isn't that strange? How strange? That's a strange light. I feel strange. The strange thing is, uh haha, that I never really thought about it before, Uh, what word I use most often in this work. But I will tell you, I am pretty proud of that little word. It's plain English, it's easy to understand. I will most likely spell it correctly every time. One of the reasons why I use the word strange. such a simple word, is that there's a real danger in getting too technical with things, not only in the world of the paranormal, but in all things. I think that sometimes when really big words are used or heavy technical terms are thrown around unnecessarily, it not only feels like some kind of weird word posturing, but it may have the tendency to make others shy away from this weird business that we're in. I feel like the object of our community should be to keep things inclusive, not exclusive. And when we manage ourselves, our podcast, and our investigations using plain old English and simple elementary words like strange, we keep this work accessible to all people of every background, every echelon, just everybody. And if you ask me as far as research goes and getting out there to find the answers, we need all the help we can get. So thank you for letting me share. Bye, guys.
29: Well, hello, hello, campers. It's an honor and a privilege to be here. Yes. Deep greetings from the whole. Yeah. Thank you so much for inviting us to talk about what you call strange semantics, which I think is a really interesting topic. Yeah. Um, On our show, we talk a lot about, obviously, the paranormal, the supernatural, conspiracy theory, all kinds of terms that kind of get lumped in, Fordian, anomalous, anomaly residue that we're Mm going to get to in a moment. This is definitely a topic that I'm excited to listen to the rest of this podcast, because it's a fascinating conundrum at times, I think, that we find ourselves in talking about these different topics that kind of weave in and out of each other. By the way, we don't have Brother John here tonight, who's a third component of our show and is sorely missed, but he's here in spirit. Uh, and speaking of spirits, Chris, what would you call spirits? Would that be paranormal or supernatural? If we're going to talk about a couple terms starting off that are probably the most basic. Well, I guess, I mean, <laughs> trick question, right? Yeah, I mean, it's probably both. It could be both. And that, that's the thing. And I think most people agree. I've heard it said, and I think it's the agreed upon definition of terms, paranormal being something that. Uh, is not yet explained but could be eventually by scientific means supernatural is something that seems anomalous and is because it's is something that doesn't follow our understanding of any sort of universal law and something that we'll never be able to completely fathom with our tiny human brains so it's, it's always <laughs> out of the reach of being completely understood that's supernatural basically okay. you, know, you think of like the concept of magic in the like the most folkloric sense Right. The way that it's been used throughout history. Uh, who was it? Was it Arthur C. Clarke that said magic is science not yet defined or discovered? Yeah. But then that would lean back towards more the paranormal. So maybe right. my example is not the best. No, but I, it, this is why this is hard to talk about because those two terms specifically, which we're going to get into more, because I'm sure this is a, something a lot of people have considered, but yeah, it does kind of weave in and out. But I think from a very basic sense and a personal sense, supernatural has always, to me, seemed like, as yeah, a kind of magic, a kind of spiritual Um, maybe having its roots in, in religion, mysticism, uh, superstition would be supernatural. I guess what superstitions highlight in our reality, you know, the boogeyman, the, the thing that can't be defined, right? Whereas I guess, as you said, paranormal can eventually hope to be defined. I think the, probably the primary example that would be extraterrestrial, uh, or, or the alien things that are physical. I think when I think of supernatural, I think of energy based life forms, energy based, Mm -hmm. uh, phenomena that we have trouble measuring. Uh, we can't reproduce in a lab, yeah. not that you can reproduce an alien, but at least that seems more material yeah it's it's funny that you say that because you're my you're my twin brother and we, we've lived together for thirty seven years but i I don't consider okay. uh, I don't consider extraterrestrials as paranormal necessarily,, uh, but I guess it could be. I guess you could put it in that realm. I never think of them that way uh, because it is to me at least if you go down the the strictly material concept of an extraterrestrial, right? if you don't go down the route of like are they uh, is there a potentiality of demonic relationship or is there all oh, right or interdimensional I guess that would also though still be material material so if you just stick with the material form I guess you could call the encounters with extraterrestrials potentially paranormal because it's something that could be explained eventually but I just never thought of them in the paranormal light I think probably because paranormal is so married to the concept of the of the um encounters with something more of a, a traditionally spooky nature ghosts poltergeists hauntings anything in that vein what would you consider Bigfoot paranormal yeah that's a tricky one too it again is. I guess that and that's what, I think one of the things that has made these terms more confusing as more people have been researching and discussing and, and, and telling accounts from eyewitnesses. Uh, these things start to blur a little bit together, especially when you have the more uh, high strangeness, Bigfoot encounters. Um, yeah. You know, where it involves things that seem almost like they could be more supernatural, yeah. like never explained. But That's true. I think that if you would ask maybe a, a traditional cryptozoologist, they would say, right. There's the Bigfoot a big is there. not paranormal. Right. But then when you start bringing in other concepts of, you know, sasquatch powers and that's why these terms are a problem but i'd like to shift if we could into some different terms that we use i guess on a personal note one that bugs me and this is kind of a paranormal adjacent topic uh just because it gets talked about a lot it's usually blended like our show blends topics of paranormal conspiracy Um, yeah you're about to say conspiracy and i think the reason why they they seem kind of blended is because the overarching concept of mystery right Uh, conspiracy by definition is something hidden from uh the masses unsolved right conjured by a small group of individuals. Yeah. So that's what I wanted to talk about briefly, because that's kind of, you know, what I've traditionally been into along with the paranormal is conspiracy theory, the hidden, the esoteric, the occult. But the idea of conspiracy theory, I guess the thing that like bothers me (laughs) if I'm going to like have a a gripe. Well, the first important thing is that conspiracies are real. Right. If I had to complain about terms, that's the first one I go to because our show deals with conspiracy theory at times. And when people say Oh, well, that's just a conspiracy. Okay, well, first of all, they're they're usually referring to a conspiracy theory. Right. A conspiracy theory is something that has not been proven, but it's a suggestion of some kind of nefarious plot. Right. Between usually, and in terms we talk about, is some group that's wielding a kind of power over people and then hiding that behind the scenes. So that's a conspiracy theory. When people say, oh, it's just a conspiracy, then you see that in media a lot, right? Mainstream media or whoever kind of throws these terms out, mixes stuff up, and... I don't know. That's a small. it's a small, I guess, distinction. It's important though. That also yeah, that's one that's when you have people saying, and I, this is usually this isn't people in our field, other podcasts like this show that you're listening to this now, and other shows in our arena wouldn't really make this mistake. But mainstream media bugs me when it's people say, "Oh, conspiracy theorists suggest that there is a bipedal ape." Walking around, right. you know, like to conflate That's complete confusion. Yeah, conflate the paranormal or the unexplained the cryptozoological with conspiracy theory. Right. It's we just weird when that happens. And I see that happen too much like that suggests that the reality of Bigfoot, at least this is what that should be suggesting, is that the if you're gonna say the conspiracy theorists believe in Bigfoot, then you're suggesting that there is a conspiracy to cover up his existence, which a lot of people would, right. you know, suggest is, is a reality. But just a lumping conspiracy theory with the paranormal and Bigfoot, I don't know. I think it's just that the uninitiated would make those sorts of conflations of terms. Right. You know, it's just probably a stupid gripe. It is annoying. But the other thing I think that would be interesting to talk about is something you've been talking about, which is really interesting, and I think gets your gets your goat. Well, I don't... It sounds like I've, I've been talking about a lot lately or anything, but it's something that I heard a while back that really kind of just bugged me a bit. It was the concept of... I think I was watching michael schirmer who probably a lot of listeners know is um the skeptic he's the skeptic i think he's the editor of skeptic magazine and he used this term that really kind of bugged me it was uh anomaly residue what he was referring to with this term was uh when things seem straight and narrow and this is an explanation for something uh but then there's something that sticks out that doesn't make sense with that theory but that's just anomaly residue so you don't need to pay attention to it because there's so much other stuff that points to this thing. Oh, with Graham it, Hancock. It was with Graham Hancock talking about ancient civilizations, how far back civilizations could go, how far back a uh, intelligent, artistic man can go back. You know how far people have been around with civilization because everything. If you've been paying attention to anything in ancient history, things it's are going al- back, alternative archaeology. Yeah, that things that are going back from. further and further every. It seems like almost every month now they're finding a new discovery, like, oh, you know what? There was this advancement uh, 2,000 years before we thought, you know, the big newsbreaker one several years ago was Gobekli Tepe, right. which is fascinating. But there's been so many more since that. Yeah. I think the lack of interest in some academics in that field specifically is because it doesn't match our paradigm. Right. So it's residue. It's not really important to look at where I feel like every field, whether it's archaeology or whatever, should have an X-Files Uh, Department. Yeah. If nothing else, if you don't incorporate that in your actual research and study, at least file them somewhere that can be searched by a crack team of people trying to solve. Yeah, there is definitely, you know, and people debate this, but I definitely believe, because there have been some excellent researchers in varying fields who've looked at things that are more inexplicable, whether it be ancient history, um, the fields of, you know, which is already kind of looked down upon parapsychology, but these other fields, these more uh, mainstream fields, when you have an outlier who comes in and says something that challenges something because of what the skeptic might call anomaly residue, and they get persecuted for this. I think it's pretty hard to deny that at this point, but people will. But a fun example of, I think, anomaly residue, one, I think, quick, clean example would be, okay, here is a seemingly intelligently designed tool, but it's in a rock layer that's 100,000 years old. Oh, right. Not to beat a dead horse, but yeah, anomaly residue, And for some reason that bothered me. I mean, I I like Michael Shermer. I should say that because I do, I think he's a good guy. I just think he's, he's very much planted in this other vein. That's his role, obviously. But yeah, I think to end it, I guess, kind of on anomaly residue, because we don't want to take up all the time here. I think that that is even a subconscious contributor to the reactions that academics or mainstream media, not that academics are all narrow thinking, but narrow thinking people in general lean on maybe subconsciously the anomaly residue perspective where right. an ingram bias against inexplicable facts. Yeah. That goes against the narrative or the, the just the current paradigm. So yeah. you just, you naturally throw it out. Yeah. There's confirmation bias. There's paradigm. There's all these problems that make anomaly residue, particularly annoying for people that are open-minded and, and want to talk about it, want to look into these subjects. So that's why I think why it's so important for, I don't know, and fun, obviously that's why we do it. But um, for shows like uh, here, the show we're on now, campfire tales of the strange and unsettling yes and all the other shows contributing to this fantastic topic uh that's why i think there's so much more interest in these shows and i think it's it's important work i mean it's fun and a lot of people probably see it as frivolous but i think it keeps people's minds open to the magic of reality the possibilities and i think ultimately a truth that gets buried or just gets sidelined yeah in most mainstream circles and avenues of research yeah you know and i think uh My final thought, I guess, Uh, how important is the terminology and the nomenclature? It probably depends on the pursuit that you have, you know, and I think what's most important is your integrity when you're just honestly communicating what you feel about stuff, you know, what you believe, what you don't believe. And also, I think maybe to some degree, the most important, having a good time exploring the mystery. The mystery should be always in focus because in a world that is increasingly focused on divisive. Kind of sad stuff on a regular basis. Yeah. And I I might even personally say kind of a nihilistic material view of reality. Yeah. You lose the magic. Mystery is, even though sometimes uh, spooky, sometimes terrifying, (laughs) uh, it's still in a strange way optimistic because the mystery allows for opportunity of thought and exploration and imagination. Yeah. So for me, the importance of the terms all just depend on how well you tell the story and how honestly you tell the story. Well said. And yes, doing things like this. Yeah, and having discussions with open-minded people, you might not have to be in the same mindset and necessarily go into something all understanding the same concept of terms or agreeing on terms. Right. Because when you sit around with people who are not necessarily like-minded, but who are open-minded, that's when you really discover the truth in the mystery. Yes, and you can discover one another's strange semantics. Yes, I don't think we could have said it in any cheesier way. (laughs) but. (laughs) But yeah, super fascinating topic. We'd love to talk more. Thanks again for having us.
2: All right, it's us again. Thank you so much for listening to this exercise in etymology, strange semantics. Um, yeah, giggle at the alliteration. Yep. what you're doing. Um, but no, like this. I I think this was a really important exercise. We just want to thank everyone who took the time to be involved.
1: Yeah, it's it's huge. I mean, a lot of time and everything has went into this uh that, you know, may not sound like it when they're all pieced together, but getting everyone involved and active and them taking the time to think about these things and then put them to words and record it like I mean, yeah, yeah it's it's a, definitely been a process. So huge thanks to everyone involved, for sure.
2: Absolutely. And to the listener, please go into the show notes and find all of your favorite people you'll you'll find contact information for all of them and go follow them go listen to their stuff go support them buy their books everything there's a huge list of people who make incredible things in those show notes so are gonna be the
1: longest show notes that we've ever had
2: (laughs) absolutely yeah a library of badass right
6: for sure